Would you please pray with me? Now, Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Amen. Would you please be seated? Well, good morning. <clears throat> for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Yeah, it's perhaps the most famous verse in all of Scripture. Martin Luther, the great reformer, called it the Bible in miniature, the Bible in miniature. William Temple, an archbishop, an Anglican archbishop, said it was the heart of the gospel. Max Licato calls it the hope diamond of the Bible. And then he goes on to describe it this way. A 26-word parade of hope, beginning with God, ending with life, and urging us to do the same. Brief enough to write on a napkin or memorize in a moment, yet solid enough to weather 2,000 years of storms and questions. If you know nothing of the Bible, start here. If you know everything about the Bible, return here. We all need the reminder. And I think it can be summarized in four simple points. He loves, he gives, we believe, we live. He loves, he gives, we believe, we live. And if you're wanting to explain the gospel to someone and don't know where to begin, then I would begin here. Begin with this verse and these four simple points. Number one, he loves. You know, one of the major differences between the God of the Christian faith and that of other faiths is that our God loves us and freely gives of himself to those who will accept him. And he calls this grace. Jesus continually reveals that no amount of religious rule following or financial giving or dutiful worshiping or good behavior can save us from our destiny to perish or experience eternal death. No, because it's because there's a God and that he loves his creation that we can experience life. And not just one day, but right here and right now. In our gospel reading today, we encounter a man called Nicodemus. It's one of my favorite scenes in the Chosen series, which if you haven't watched it yet, you've got to see. Who's anyone watched the Chosen yet? I know one of us has actually been in the Chosen. <laughs> Abe over there has been in it. Fantastic series. If you've not watched it yet, take the time. You can watch it for free online on various, what platforms can we watch it on? Angel Network. Yeah, like you just download that app, but I think it might be on other things now as well. There you go, first two seasons of Amazon. So take your time. And, and this episode happens in season one. It's really the pinnacle, I would say, of that season when Nicodemus comes to Jesus. And he comes to Jesus in the dark. And he's a Pharisee. He's a teacher of the religious law in the words, um, a rule follower, in other words. And he's intrigued by this man who's possibly a prophet that seems to have come from God. And yet he comes at night for a reason. He's still not sure he wants to be seen with Jesus. He's still not made up his mind about who this guy is. And so his first statement in our passage could be flattery or admission that he wants to believe. You can find it in the scripture sheet if you want to follow along. John chapter um, 3 verse 2. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. See, he's not ready to believe that Jesus is God, but he's open to believing that he's been sent by God. But what Jesus then explains seems impossible to him. Verses 3 through 7. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? 
Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Jesus tells him he has to be born again. And this new teaching is something that clearly confuses Nicodemus. Now, we might say, well, I've heard that. Why doesn't he get this? Well, partly because we've heard that phrase maybe many times in our life. But the term born again is really something that's been somewhat overused or even misused in the American evangelical world. It's used for touting religious credentials rather than the conversion of heart, soul, and mind and strength that Jesus is speaking of here. Perhaps a more helpful interpretation of this phrase is born from above, born from above. Yes, we are born of this world as children born from below, but because God loves us and he wants us to love him, he offers a way for us to be in relationship with him. And in our flesh, we can't do it. But by the waters of baptism and the subsequent indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we can be born from above. This is God's love for us, that he doesn't leave us floundering around in our brokenness and our sin, desperately seeking to save ourselves, to drag ourselves up through religious duty or good works or having the right heritage. No, he initiates a rescue plan. This is his grace in action. Yes, first of all, we see that God loves. God loves. But secondly, we see that God gives. God loves and he gives. Now, What does God give? Well, incredibly, God gives himself. He gives himself in the form of his one and only son, Jesus. God, the creator of the universe, descends from heaven and becomes flesh and walks among us. And not just to live on this earth, but also to die. He perishes so that we don't have to. And why must he give himself and die? Well, to explain this, Jesus reminds Nicodemus of a story that he'd know from the Jewish scriptures. And perhaps you've read this one before. A time about 1,600 years earlier when the Jewish people were disobedient to God as they wandered around in the wilderness, recently having been set free from slavery in Egypt. And God punishes them for their sin by sending venomous snakes among them. And they're only saved when God relents and allows Moses to lift up a bronze serpent on a pole and anyone who looks up on this thing won't die verses 14 and 15 Jesus says and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life writing about this R. Kent Hughes puts it this way the picture is one of both horror and glory it is horrible that the Israelites were beset by a horde of fiery serpents so many that the people could not escape And as a result, their bodies were inflamed with fever and they were on the verge of death. In fact, many died. What a hideous scene. But at the same time, it is glorious because here we also see God's glorious provision of healing. Our Lord left no doubt about the application. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. This is a picture of the dying, sinful world with the atoning cross raised high. See, Jesus is trying to lift the eyes of this religious leader upwards, upwards, so he can see higher things, things from above, so that he might see this life from a spiritual perspective as opposed to just the earthly one he's seeing it from now, to see that his sin, in fact, 
everyone's sin needs to be forgiven too. And the only way for this to happen is for God himself to pay the price with one final sacrifice for all of mankind, a sinless, unblemished offering where he is lifted up on a cross and God's justice is satisfied so that anyone who then looks upon this cross, either on that first terrible Good Friday who looks upon it in their hearts any day since, can receive the gift of salvation from sin that God offers. And so he loves, and so he gives. He loves and he gives. Which brings me to the third point, we believe. You see, the gift is for everyone, but its benefits are not a given. It's for everyone, but its benefits are not a given. It does not mean all people will be saved, as some have falsely suggested. All people can be saved, but to be saved, the gift must be received. In our Old Testament reading today from Genesis 12, we encounter Abraham. Maybe some of you remember him as Father Abraham, who had many sons from your Sunday school lessons. And he was a man called by God to leave his homeland and his family and to follow God wherever he would lead him. Uh, through him, God will bless all the peoples of the world. We read this in Genesis 12. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house, the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now remember, Abraham doesn't know anything about Jesus. Doesn't know anything about Jesus. It's long before him. He doesn't have the scriptures to study and meditate on. Those haven't been written yet. He simply hears God's voice and he has a choice to make. He hears God speak to him and he has a choice to make. Believe him or ignore him. We know from the rest of the book of Genesis that he chooses to believe him and to follow him wherever he leads, putting his trust in him. And as Paul puts it in our reading from Romans chapter 5, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Or as the writer to the Hebrew puts it, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Yes, Abraham is saved by faith. He has a choice to make, and he's saved by faith. And so too is anyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ today. We have a choice to make also. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Yes, you see, friends, we are all perishing. Every one of us, I'm perishing, Kendall's perishing. We are all perishing and we're infected and infected by the sin of Adam and Eve. We continue to rebel against God each time we choose our own way rather than his. But we can all be saved. Every one of us can be saved, not just the Jews, but everyone. As commentator Bruce Milne puts it, the all-inclusive scope of God's love is also here. John's readers would have been familiar with the thought of God's special love for Israel, but in truth, his love and always was, his love is and always was, indiscriminate, embracing every man, woman, and child. Yes, God's great inclusive love is witnessed here. And the requirement for receiving this love? to put our faith in him, to surrender our lives to him and to follow him. Not just a mental ascent to say, yes, I believe there was a man called Jesus who lived, 
but to actually assent to him with our body, mind, soul, and spirit, saying, everything I have is yours. I choose to follow you from this day forward, surrendering everything I own, everything I am to you, and I'm put on the new self and be born from above. And so he loves and he gives and we believe. And finally, we live. Through Jesus, God gives us new life. He gives us this life to the full that Jesus speaks of, eternal life. Pastor and author Dallas Willard translates John 3.16 like this. God so loved the world that he gave his son to that world that those who put their confidence in him would not lead a miserable, failing existence, but have eternal life, which is the kind of life God has, would not lead a miserable, failing existence, but have eternal life, which is the kind of life God has. See, it's not just that we are misguided in our beliefs, or um, as the Brits might say, that we're in a spot of bother, okay? No, we are dead in our sin. We are dead, dead, leading a miserable, failing existence. And God offers, a, offers to make us alive, truly alive. Now, having Kendall here, it wouldn't be a, a sermon without a C.S. Lewis quote. So <clears throat> here we go. Kendall will know this one well, as may you. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. That means vacation by the ocean. We are far too easily pleased. Far too easily pleased. Many of us settle for this miserable failing life when God offers so much more. And as I often say, Jesus doesn't come to make bad people good. He comes to make dead people alive. And this is a shock to Nicodemus, all of this. You see, the good news of the gospel is not good news to Nicodemus, at least not the way he's been living. In fact, it's bad news because he has invested a lifetime in ritual holiness. It reminds me of a conversation I had recently with someone who had been in and around the church for 30 years but never gotten what it was about until later in their life. And they said to me, I wish I had known this in my 20s. I wish I'd known this in my 20s. See, he's following all the rules, Nicodemus, but missing the point. And now he can't dismiss this Jesus as some kind of crank because he's seen the power that he has, which is obviously from God. But Jesus is now telling him that his world has changed. He, he must change if he wants to live. He must be born again to see the kingdom of God, something he presumed, I assume, was a given already just by being a Jew. There's this major paradigm shift going on in his brain as he hears all this. It reminds me of a story about Bishop John Taylor Smith, an Anglican bishop and chaplain general to the British Armed Forces in the early 20th century. And Smith was once preaching in a cathedral so packed that many of the local luminaries were sitting right up there with him. And on his left was a very prominent clergyman, the archdeacon, who would in fact be second only to a bishop. And Smith's theme for this sermon was, you must be born again. In fact, he liked to preach on that all the time. And part of what he said was this, my dear people, do not substitute anything for the new birth. You may be a member of a church, but church membership is not new birth. And except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Then pointing to the deacon on his left, that's right, right, on his left. <laughs> I am challenged in that way. Uh, he continued, 
You may even be an archdeacon like my friend here and not be born again. And except a man be born again, he will not see the kingdom of God. You might even be a bishop like myself and not be born again. And except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, the next day, the bishop received a letter from the archdeacon that said this, my dear bishop, you have found me out. I have been a clergyman for over 30 years, but I have never known anything of the joy that Christians speak of. Mine has been a hard legal service. I did not know what was the matter with me, but when you pointed directly at me and said you might even be an archdeacon and not be born again, I realized in a moment what the trouble was. I had never known anything of the new birth. So the bishop and the archdeacon arranged to meet, and before long they were praying together, and the archdeacon responded to Christ's call as he had never done before. At last he admitted his need of a savior, believed that Jesus died for him, and acknowledged Jesus as Lord of his life. He was born again. And you know, this man's not unlike the character in our story today, Nicodemus. Nicodemus has spent a lifetime fulfilling religious duties but he'd never encountered the living God, never experienced his love, his joy, his power, at least not until this moment. And now, like the archdeacon, he has the opportunity to follow him and to receive eternal life. But what will he do? Well, like so many stories in scripture, it seems, we don't find out the ending, do we? <laughs> well, maybe we do. I'd like to believe that Nicodemus hears of God's love and hears of what he gives and believes in him and receives eternal life. And while I don't know this for sure, there are two more occasions that you may have heard of where we do encounter Nicodemus in the Gospel of John that suggests that maybe this is what happened. The first one happens in John chapter 7, just four chapters later, and Nicodemus in front of the Sanhedrin, all the high priests and the other Pharisees, he defends Jesus right there. Just one line we get, but he defends him, which must have taken some courage. And then secondly, in John chapter 19, towards the end of John's gospel, we hear of Nicodemus helping Joseph of Arimathea take Jesus down from the cross and put him in his tomb and embalm him in the spice and so on that were needed then. Nicodemus does that also. And I'd like to think that Nicodemus was probably there watching as Jesus was raised high on a pole or a cross and he saw him die for him for his sins. And at some stage, maybe right there, he was born again because he put his trust in Jesus Christ and he received eternal life. God loves, God gives, we believe, we live. So what does this mean for us? What does it mean for us today? Well, perhaps there are some folks like the archdeacon out there today, people who have not yet been born of the water and the spirit. Perhaps you've sat in church your whole life, a whole life without the, the joy of eternal life. You've sat there, and now you're encountering God for the first time as he speaks to you, as he spoke to Abraham and said, follow me. You have a choice to make, follow me. Some of you will hear that today and I believe will respond. And some of you will ignore it. Don't ignore it for too long, friends, because God says, follow me. Otherwise, you will perish. 
Or maybe you're just wondering, what does it mean to be born from? What does that look like? Maybe I am, maybe I'm not. Well, here's how John Wesley, a man who experienced a certain born-again conversion when his heart was, in a very British way, strangely warmed. He's described... (laughs) It's the extent of our emotional range. (laughs) From strangely warmed to, hmm, fine. describes it this way. It is that great change which God works in the soul when he brings it into life, when he raises it from the death of sin to the new life of righteousness. It is the change wrought in the whole soul by the almighty spirit of God when it is created anew in Christ Jesus, when it is renewed after the image of God in righteousness and true holiness. And listen closely here. When the love of the world is changed into the love of God, pride into humility, passion into meekness, hatred, envy, malice into a sincere, tender, disinterested love for all mankind. In a word, it is that change whereby the earthly, sensual, devilish mind is turned into the mind which is in Christ Jesus. This is the nature of the new birth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Is this the kind of life life to the full, eternal life that you are experiencing right now? Or are you still consumed by a love for the world and all that it has to offer? More concerned with your earthly wealth than with God's heavenly riches. More concerned with outward appearances than with inward transformation. Still riddled with pride or hatred or greed or lust or jealousy or unforgiveness, etc., etc. And Jesus would look at you and say, you must be born again. You must be born again. And the good news is that he loves, he gives, we believe, we live. He loves, he gives, we believe, we live. Do you believe it? Will you accept it? Will you repent and surrender your life to Jesus? And if you have already, then who will you share this good news with? For God so loved the world. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. There are so many people who need to hear all of those words. Would you memorize it, learning it? Would you practice it? And then would you share it? He loves, he gives. We believe, we live. It's as simple as that. And yet it's by far the most important thing that you know. The most important thing you know. Far too important to keep to yourself. Just repeat after me. He loves. He gives. gives. We believe. We We live. He loves. He gives. gives. We believe. We We live. This week, I want to encourage you to look for an opportunity to share that with someone. And if you've never received that, I want you to take the time to pray this prayer with me right now and then to share with me that you prayed this prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I need you. I am sinful and broken, and I repent of my sin believing that Jesus Christ has died to pay the price for my sin, every sin. I choose to follow him as my Savior and my Lord. I choose to follow him all the days of my life, living life to the full, life eternal, right here and right now with him, surrendering completely to his leading. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.